You're listening to the podcast where you can feast on all the information in the world of sports. Now, here's your host, Tommy Yu. All right, we are continuing with the state of the franchise breakdown. We are in the top three, Darren. How exciting is that? I feel like we've been working on this for quite a while, but I've been having a lot of fun kind of diving into it, and I feel like it's a really good introduction for some of the new owners that kind of never listened to a podcast, maybe for Dynasty League and things like that, but we finally made it the top three. I remember texting you saying, hey, did we reach the cream of the crop? And you're like, ah, still no. I think there's still another tier break here, but... Uh, Dare, how do you feel about talking about this uh, very unique special team? Because I feel like this team has had the most owners so far, right? Yeah, yeah I guess so. Because we had that one a weird. Uh, I remember when Danny left, like he was he was probably the most like, I mean, I guess you're the most active. Um, but he's close. Like, I would definitely say he was close to your level of activity. But I just remember like the one I was at the Eagles home home for a tailgate two, I guess it was two years ago now um, because last year was COVID year and uh, my phone just started like exploding with all of these messages. <laughs> and I was like, what the frick happened? So like, I'm like kind of, kind of drunk at this point. So I like look at my thing and it was like, it was like Danny was saying he was leaving because it was going to end his marriage. And I was like, what is going on? Oh <laughs> like, my God. <laughs> Before we and actually, like, the no, day, no, go the day the season started. So I was like, "Wait, how is Tommy going to replace this guy when the season literally is starting today?" <laughs> actually, let's talk about that first. Let's talk about a little bit of the background of this team. Like we said, Danny, you explained him perfectly. I was obviously really active in this league because I had big visions of where the PDL could go. And so I wanted to make sure that I was super active because I wanted to make it a lot of fun for everyone involved. But Danny matched me, if not exceeded me. You'd be bringing all these like different Twitter things. You'd be making polls about it. Dude, I loved it. Danny was like the golden staple of who I wanted to be in the league. And correct me if I'm wrong, Darren, he was kind of ahead of the curve, at least in Dynasty slash Superflex. He took quarterbacks a lot earlier than all of us, and yeah. he essentially built a super team, and then he handed it off. And at the time, he also had a co-owner, which was one of his uh, co-workers named Charles, or Chuck, as we all know now. And so when he actually left, and I don't want to dive too much into it for those who might not know, but he was like literally obsessed with fantasy football. I know we all say we were obsessed with fantasy football, but he got to a point where he was also like a eye doctor, eye surgeon. So like on the side, I, uh, D- um, Darren and I were always like joking around and be like, yeah, he probably was like, Hey, um, whoever my secretary, Hey, Sarah, don't schedule anyone for my one o'clock because I got to catch up on some football. Like we were joking around saying that's stuff that he would do. And then maybe he wouldn't be paying attention to his wife, blah, blah. But like at the end of the day, he got too obsessed with it where he had to step away, which was unfortunate. So then he handed his keys off to Chuck, his co-owner, who then took over as full ownership of the league. Danny didn't just become a co-owner. He completely actually just left the league, unfortunately. And then Chuck inherited this super team, and he ended up winning the championship the very first year because of everything Danny did. And Darren, I don't think Chuck really did anything besides just start make, like make his starting lineup and then just bounce. Like I feel like he didn't almost talk at all that first year, right? Yeah, the first year he did absolutely nothing. Like all, all he did was set his lineup. He would maybe send like a message or two in the chat on Sunday morning after he set his lineup, and then that would be it. And he would just disappear for the no whole. No waivers, of the week. no free agency, <laughs> nothing. nothing. Right? 
Unbelievable. Just like he just coasted. Like Danny drafted the team. Chuck just set the lineup, coasted all the way to a title. Yeah. And then year two, when Chuck was in the league, he started to make the team his own, I guess. That team had an embarrassment of riches, uh, which I guess we can talk about a little bit about now since it's appetizer. This team originally had Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and Lamar Jackson. Darren, if we were to rewind a year or two ago and I sat you down and said, all right, in a super flex dynasty league, can you name the top three, top four quarterbacks? I can almost guarantee these three might be on that list, right? Yeah, they're definitely in the top five. Like there's no if, ands, or but about it. Like he had three of the top five dynasty quarterbacks all on the same team. Exactly. And so that it's no surprise that he won, but then he started to make a lot of changes because he realized, hey, at the end of the day, I could only start two. And yeah, I need one maybe in by rotation and stuff like that. But you don't need a Lamar Jackson. You don't need a Deshaun Watson caliber player to do that. And so I feel like he understood that and started to try to make trades to upgrade his other positions. Uh, long story short, Chuck was not the most active person, which is why uh, I gave him the opportunity to resign and things like that, which he took. And then now we have Steve. Steve is inheriting uh, in my opinion, the very first super team the PDL has ever seen. Uh, I, I feel like there's another super team in the mix now in uh, a team that we'll probably be talking about in the future soon. But this this is the one. In my opinion, this was the super team. This was the team that everyone was looking at and things like that. And for good reason. They won the first championship. Um, they made a good run last year. And who knows? They could probably make another run this year. And that's just how strong of a draft that Danny had, which is unbelievable. And so everything that I've been seeing with Steve is very similar to Danny, uh, does a lot of research, uh, very active on Twitter. And so I'm really interested to see some of the transaction that Steve makes, but one concern I do have, and it's not just for Steve, it's for all of the new owners. And I know it's something that we mentioned before, PDL is different. And I know I say that, uh, in a biased way, cause it's our league, but the valuations in the PDL are completely different just because a trade calculator or Twitter or Reddit or, or a discord community says this person is worth this much. If you don't get that, don't do it. While I agree, that's a really good unbiased way to see it. If no one in the league wants to pay that price, that's not his price anymore. Our own ecosystem dictates a different type of price. I, you, I can stand here and say, Joe Burrow is worth three first. I will not take anything under three first. And even if you give me a three first, if it's like later around, um, first, I want something else on top of it. But then, Darren, you have every right to say, well, Tommy, you got him for two late first, just two. So I'm not going to give you the three. Blah. And I could sit here and be like, uh, well, actually, you're right. Like, if I'm asking for three and no one gives me three, that's not his price anymore, essentially. And so I want these. That's kind of the concern I have. I feel like a lot of the new owners might be coming in and saying, all right, this is the price of this person. And then they might be surprised on what they find what the owners have. Because another thing I also mentioned was I feel like the PDL, uh, not overrates, but really loves draft picks. They hold them to a really high esteem. And it's funny because I don't have any draft picks because my view is, yes, draft picks are great, but I'd rather have a common or like a known commodity rather than a lottery ticket, hoping that whatever I draft ends up being better than whatever I just traded for to get that pick, if you will. And so I've been trying to use that to my advantage, which is why I sit with the team I have now. I just trade away all my picks, which could be seen as a bad thing. But for me, I'm like, yo, I have, I just have good players on my team now. Like, I don't care anymore. This is why I would have draft picks. So I could end up getting an Aaron Jones. So I could end up getting a Derrick Henry. Like, this is why I have it. 
And so I feel like the valuations are all over the place. So I know I just went on like a really long tangent, but uh, what are your thoughts at least on the valuations of what the new people might be coming in with and what the PDL kind of has? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, because it's it's kind of, we in the last, because it's going on year three now, right? Um, so I think that we've all kind of like, not nine of us, I guess, we all know like what kind of, what players go for and what people value and what they don't value, um, the majority of us at least. And I think that if you're in the kind of situation, like Steve's not in the situation where he wants to like blow it up and restart or whatever. But if you know that your team can't compete with the top guys and like say like Josh for, for Burrow a couple weeks ago, um, he wanted to get draft picks for him. The most he was being offered was two first round picks. So it's either you, you hold them and hope you get more, which you might never um, in the case of like a Joe Burrow, like he probably could have held him a little bit longer because he's a quarterback. But like, if you have a running back wide receiver and you're on a team that you want to like blow it up and you want two or three or whatever, and you're not being offered that you should probably, you should probably just take it or you're just going to be holding a depreciating asset because most of the people in this league, like, like Mike, for example, like he has his price and he sets his price and he won't move from his price. So like, um, I just think that like, like Jensen sold Deandre Swift for a first and a second round pick like that, that's going to break every trade calculator you put it into, but that was Jensen's price and that's what he went for so like in a way that kind of like sort of like sets the market because like if yeah. you, you can get a first and a second for deandre swift like is someone going to give three firsts for a different running back probably not because they're going to be like well i mean i'll just wait until someone wants to give me a first and a second for that other running back so like probably two firsts is like the new threshold for like if your team wants to rebuild and you want draft picks for a running back you're probably going to get like two first maybe maybe three if you're like extremely lucky but i kind of doubt that um i don't know i, I think it's just it de- it's team dependent obviously but and steve's not in this scenario right now but i know that chuck right before he was leaving he claimed like in quotes because he first when he first came in he was like oh yeah i want to trade for rb1 and then a week later he was like i'm gonna blow it up so i think you would just send those messages to kind of be like i'll get tommy off my back but um i taught i reached out to him and i was like hey like what what do you want for joe mixon and like you you used to have joe mixon like you know like he's a frustrating guy to own he's like oh yeah super talented but that's not the guy i want on my team yeah, and he was like, I want two first-round picks. And I was like, all right, never mind. Like, <laughs> I'm not yeah, giving not, two first-round picks for Joe Mix. And it was like, like, I, I understand, like, if you put it in a trade calculator, it's probably going to give you, like, two first-round picks for Joe Mixon. But, like, I mean, I you're looking over there right now. DeAndre that. Swift went for a first and a second. And now you're reaching out for Joe Mixon. It's like two firsts. And you're like, um. And I would yeah. much rather have DeAndre Swift. Like, much rather. <laughs> like. And not like just that, not you have three first-round picks this year and three first-round picks next year. I mean, I'm not saying, and I know this is completely contradictory of what I just said, but you have a really good history in being able to hit in drafts, and I'm not saying that's going to be something that's sustainable, but I would rather put my eggs in your basket of someone who has six first-round picks, and you have multiple second-round picks as well, to be able to hit on someone of Joe Mixon's caliber 
with the amount of ammunition that you have. So why are you now just giving everything away to be like, all right, let me have Joe Mixon now kind of thing with what I would think you'd be able to get someone younger and someone that you'd be able to pump more out to. Because I know Joe Mixon is still relatively young, but I mean, injuries have been against them. And if Cincinnati doesn't improve their offensive line, like I, I don't care who you put back there. I, I, I'm not yeah. giving up two first round picks for whoever Cincinnati has at running back. I don't care if Giovanni Bernard just left. It just, I, I don't care. Yeah, because they're a running back. The most important thing for a running back is their offensive line. And if they don't improve their offensive line, how is he going to be any better? Exactly. So it's it's so, just, it is what it is. Yeah. And so I just wanted to take some time part of this appetizer to kind of talk about the prior or owners, kind of what they did. And we can't really talk about Steve too much because, I mean, he hasn't even had an opportunity to really do anything yet. So it's just a really nice way if Steve is listening. Hey, we're giving you a little bit of history on your team and how it became it like how it did before we jump into the main course. One last thing I want to talk about big news in the PDL Jensen of the Hollywood hustle got a co-owner Darren. And I was actually pretty uh, thrilled to hear this because Jensen has been on my infamous list, if you will, on owners that I had to contemplate on, you know, do I ask him to resign? Do I have to go look for a replacement? But Jensen's team is really unique in like that would be a shit show trying to find an owner for that team because it's yeah. built so differently and they had a concept of what they wanted to do. And it's a little bit surprising only because this draft was supposed to be the draft that makes Hollywood hustle what they have wanted to be since the start of this, you know, league two years ago. And so now they bring in Matt Woods. I don't know. I, well, I know both of us should know Matt Woods at least a little bit because he went to our high school. He was, I think, an underclassman uh, compared to us and things like that. But I don't know his history with fantasy football, so I'm interested to see how he is. It's very hard to be less active than Jensen when it comes to trading. And I could say that confidently because I've been trying to trade with Jensen for the past two weeks. So the fact that Josh was able to get that trade for DeAndre Swift. I don't know how you did that, Josh, because like I said, I've been trying to trade with Jensen for two weeks and I always get, I'm drunk or text me later. And I do <laughs> text them later. And then I get the same thing. I'm drunk, text me later. I'm like, bro, like, it's okay if you say that like two, three days, but like, it's been fucking 14 days. And I like, when I say I've been trying to trade with Jensen, I don't mean we've been negotiating. It's just me trying to start the negotiation, like we haven't even started anything. So I think that's why I've been frustrated. So I'm hoping that uh, Matt Woods coming in, I feel like that'll be pretty dope. I'm excited to see how he contributes or even what his valuations may be. Cause I don't even know his background on dynasty, let alone Superflex slash tight end premium slash all this other kind of stuff. So uh, what are some of your thoughts of the Hollywood hustle getting a new owner? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the, the exact same thing as you. Like I, I know of him from high school and stuff. He's, I think he's a couple years younger than us. Um, that's kind of the extent. I've never played fantasy football with him or anything. Um, he kind of dropped, dropped in and said hi and then disappeared right after that. So um, I don't know. <laughs> like you said, hopefully. Literally happened yesterday. So we can't have like a full write up of, oh, yeah, this is what I think about him. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's an improvement. But um, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I personally haven't had recently a, a problem because like I know when Jensen was like hinting at like he might trade the first pick I texted him I was like are you actually doing this and he was like I'm considering it I have like a good offer um it never actually happened so I don't know if he's just like trying to drum up interest or like what he's what he's doing but um I I personally I mean I, I haven't been like actively trying to trade with him or anything but 
the last couple of times I texted him, he texted me pretty much right away. So um, I I think he's just, he's just not focused on fantasy right now. Which which is is, fine. Which is fine. Yeah. So seeing this new owner come in, hopefully that'll kind of breathe uh, even more life into the PDL because this is a very historic moment for our league. Uh, So many new people, so many uh, adjustments that people have to make and things like that. So I'm interested to see how that's going to impact the PDL uh, at least for the 2021 season. So, hey, enough about Hollywood Hustle, enough about all that. Let's talk about the house that Danny built. And let's jump into that main course and break down Steve's beautiful new shiny team. But before we talk about all the different position groups that he has, let's talk about some trades that, you know, were made. And it wasn't that Steve that made them. Most of these were all Chuck. So, Darren, I know Chuck has made some gigantic trades before. So what are some of the trades that we want to talk about? Um, so like you said earlier, that first season, he did absolutely nothing. Um, these were all the beginning of last season. I guess he kind of thought he needed to upgrade. upgrade Maybe on Danny gave players. him an ultimatum. Maybe Danny handed off the keys. He's like, I drafted you a team that should win. Don't <laughs> fuck it up. Don't make any trades. Just set the lineup and you'll be guaranteed to be in the money. And, you know, um, Chuck was probably like, oh, okay. And then year two, he's like, no, like I can do this myself. I don't, I, I got to get out of Danny's shadow. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, it was season two or this past season where he went nuts and made a bunch of trades. So the first, the first one was with you. Um, he sent Aaron Jones, Lamar Jackson, and a 2022 first um, and Zacherts for, Stefan Diggs, Darren Waller, Carson Wentz, and Joe Mixon. Um, at the time, trade. yeah, at the time, this was like a really good trade, like fair trade for both sides. Um, Carson Wentz turning out to be terrible uh, kind of makes this better in your favor. But at the time, this really wasn't, wasn't bad. You know, like he, he got pretty, pretty good value for the MVP top three dynasty quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Um and then Mixon got hurt too, so that also got hurt. <laughs> but um, he did, you know, he did okay on this one. I think. No, I, I I think it's a good trade only because when I still look at this trade, I still fawn for having Stephon Diggs on my team, and obviously having Darren Waller on my team wouldn't hurt either. So like, I still look at him like, oh yes, here's one of uh, Darren's trademarked fleece, but I don't get any of the blame because I'm not Darren, so I feel good. No, I look at this <laughs> trade, I'm like, damn. I still wish I had some of the guys that I sent away, but I mean, I think one thing that helped me was the wide receiver room I already had and was building. I was like, you know, I'm not saying Stefan Diggs is replaceable, but I'm like, mm-hmm. if any team can move Stefan Diggs, and I know that was probably the biggest piece that I sent over that uh, Chuck wanted in order to get like the Aaron Jones, Lamar Jackson, a first, all that kind of stuff. I was like, I got to do it kind of thing. So no, but overall, just listen to all the big names that are in this just one trade, right? Like, I feel like in any other league, if just Lamar Jackson was moved or Aaron Jones, Stephon Diggs, uh, uh, Joe Mix and stuff like that, that would be big news. But the fact that this one trade had so many different big players, I think this is the trade I always look back on me like, holy shit, this was, this was one of the biggest trades I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it was, and it was, and it was for both, both sides too. Like he got major players. Like he got Stefan Diggs, Darren Waller, who obviously helped him a lot. Um, Mixon would have been a just fine replacement for Aaron Jones if he didn't get hurt. And then Carson Wentz, obviously a big drop from Lamar Jackson, even if he didn't suck last year. But 
Um, maybe he'll bounce back for Steve. Um, you got to think that Diggs, Waller, and, and Mixon all play well this year if they're healthy. Um, you just got to kind of hope that Wentz is better. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you could even make the argument that Diggs, Waller, and Mixon are not centerpieces of his team, but just big players that are on his team right now. And it all came mm-hmm. from this one trade, which is kind of crazy. But there are uh, some other big trades that were uh, made by Chuck as well, right? Yeah, so the, the next one was with Max. Um, Chuck sent a 2021 first, so that was pick 110 this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, his second for Robbie Anderson, Chase Edmonds, and RG3. Uh, I think this was bad. <laughs> Very bad. <laughs> um, I, I think if he really tried, um, he definitely could have got a better player than Robbie Anderson for that first-round pick. Like, if he reached out, he, he reached out to me after he made this trade and he said like, Hey, like, can you trade me Deontay Johnson? And I was like, well, I mean, maybe if you had that first round pick still, I would have done it, but not now. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, you don't have anything anymore that I want. So no. Um, but he definitely could have got a better player than Robbie Anderson for that first round pick. I think this was, he was reaching, trying to get like, cause like in the beginning of the year, Robbie Anderson was good. Yeah. Uh, he was like a top five off. wide receiver for like the first five, six games. But then, I mean, I don't want to be term, that guy, yeah. but anyone with eyes can look at it and be like, yeah, that's not sustainable. Like that's, that's yeah. going to level out. Yeah. You got to look long-term and you can't be like, I, I understand what he was doing. And he probably knew like, if he won again, like if he won again last year, he might've just like left and been like, ah, fuck it. I'm done. I won two years in a row. Like that's it. Um, I think that's kind of what he was doing. Like he didn't really care about the future because he knew he wasn't going to be here that long. So he was like, ah, whatever. Like, just I'm just gonna win as much as I can, collect all the money before I get kicked out or I just leave uh, myself. The Bill, the Bill O'Brien <laughs> strategy. He was like, exactly. yeah, I'm, I'm about to go all in. Yeah, Laramie <laughs> Tunsil, what do you want for him? Oh, a billion first? Yeah, I'll get him. Oh, wait, he's at the end of his contract. How much money do you want, Laramie? Oh, a billion dollars? Yeah, I'll give you that too. Why? Oh, because uh, I, I don't expect to be here soon. I just got to go all in every single year. So he did the patented Bill O'Brien move. But like you said you break this straight down, he essentially gave a first and a second for Robbie Anderson. Like uh, Chase yeah, Edmonds, yeah, he might be somewhat valuable, but it's very evident that, you know, Arizona doesn't see Chase Edmonds as a number one running back. I mean, I know they just went and got James Conner, which isn't like, oh yeah, huge threat. But I mean, even when David Johnson was trashed, they still continually started David Johnson over him. And then and after Drake. David Johnson left, then they're like, oh shit, we need Kenyon Drake. Like, and then they trade to get Kenyon Drake, gave him a lot of money, but like, my argument is all those Chase MN truthers out there, why would Arizona try so hard to continually replace, you know, the running back if yeah. Edmonds is the guy? I think Edmonds is a great running back, but I mean, Arizona knows something I don't. Maybe he's just not built. Maybe he's more of a gadget guy. Maybe he's more of a change of pace guy, but not the main guy. And so at the end of the and RG3, that I mean, okay, he shouldn't be on any roster for like the past 10 yeah. years anyway. So it was essentially a first and a second for Robbie Anderson. And I know if Steve is listening to this, he's probably his heart is breaking right now because yeah. yo, Steve, you could have the 110 pick right now. Um, which I feel like with all the research and how smart you are and things like that, you probably would have liked. And I'm pretty sure, Darren, you would also say you would probably much prefer the first and the second compared to the haul that yeah. Chuck got. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I I would like there's absolutely no realm of possibility I would have traded a first round pick for Robbie Anderson. And I don't think anyone else in the league would have done that either. <laughs> like, I, I just don't, I saw this come through. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, dude, I was, when like, it first came through, I was so confused. It was one of the head scratches being like, oh, 
wait a second. <laughs> like they chuck wrong Max. So then Chuck wanted to make it up to Max and then send him over <laughs> the straight. Like it didn't make any sense. So I guess you could almost say in the storyline I'm creating, Chuck's team was that first super team, at least for me. And that it could not be for you, yeah. but for me, he was the first super team. And then in my opinion, spoiler alert, one of the next super teams that I'm seeing being developed right from under our nose is Max's team. And it's almost like, Chuck was passing on the torch, but like, hey, here's here's this extra first. So now you can have three yeah. first, and you already have a good team. So here, now you get to be the next super team after I bounce. So it's almost like this was like a symbolic trade where I look back thinking, what the fuck? Like, why did this even happen? But I know there's one more big trade that actually involves you that I could try to take a uh, lead on. Chuck then sent, like I said, he had a bunch of great quarterbacks. One of them involved with me. I got Lamar Jackson, and then the other big quarterback, or oh, well, he has. Then he had Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. And I know with all this stuff, Deshaun Watson's going on right now, cancel that from your mind because Deshaun Watson is a phenomenal quarterback and fantasy quarterback. And so Chuck had Watson and he sent him over to you. He sent over Deshaun Watson, Sterling Shepard in a 2022 second. Man, dude, I feel like if there's anyone who hates draft picks more than me, it was Chuck. And then, um, so he sent all that away. But what he received was Calvin Ridley Kareem Hunt and a 2022 fourth round pick. And uh, I'll, I'll just shed some light real quick on my end. I think this was uh, a, a great trade for you at the time. I mean, you got the Sean Watson. Yeah. Calvin Ridley top five running back, I think last year, but I mean, you, you don't get a franchise staple quarterback for free. You know what I mean? Like I'm, yeah. you're not just going to get him for like, Oh, I'll send them. You know, Kareem Hunt, maybe a 2022 second and some random. No, that's not how it's going to work. So the fact that you uh, anteed up, but the fact that you also got Watson, Shepard and a second for all of that. I mean, dude, I feel like you should have given up Ridley Hunt and a fourth just for Watson alone. So the fact that you're able to squeeze out some additional assets, I, I think for me, people will say the patented Darren move is just trade raping people. And that's just kind of for the memes. But for me, my patented Darren Williams trade in fantasy football is you squeeze out every single value. Like you'll be like, Oh yeah, this and this, and uh, you know, can you throw in Sterling Shepard uh, and maybe like a second and somehow the other person's like, sure. And I'm like, yo, how did Darren do that? That's freaking dope. But well, um, and now a lot of things have happened now since that trade. So people might view it differently. But what is your reaction when the, you first made the trade? And what are your reactions to it now? Um, so this actually was what Chuck wanted. Um, my initial offer was um because I knew he was trying to to trade Watson because he was the first person he put on the block because like of Mahomes. Jackson and Watson. Watson was the one that he liked the least. Um, when I was trying to trade for him, I don't think anybody else was at the time, which I was kind of surprised by because, like, that's the show. I mean, maybe, <laughs> yeah, I know. And maybe it was because it was Chuck and Chuck was hard to get a hold of and, like, nobody wanted to deal with it. But when I first offered, the first trade I offered to him was Baker Mayfield and a first round pick. Um, he was like, now, nah, like, I want players. And I was like, all right, like, what about Baker and Cause I figured he would want a quarterback back to replace Watson. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, what about Baker and like cream hunt? And he was like, nah, like, I, I don't, I like, I need like more players to go. Cause like, I'm fine at quarterback. Cause he had Mahomes and Jackson still, he was like, I just need like a running back and a receiver. And like my best, my best running back at the time was cream hunt. My best receiver at the time was Calvin Ridley. 
And he was like, I want both of those. And I was like, all right, but like, if you do that, you got to add on a little bit more because I knew that that's what he wanted. So mm -hmm. I knew like maybe I could squeeze out a little bit more. Like I probably would have just did it straight up without it, but because then you're able to flip Sterling Shepard for more, which had that trickle down effect. But like I said, that's just, I think that's where the genius of your ability to trade comes in. And so, like I said, uh, but what are your thoughts on the trade now? Um, now it, it kind of depends on Watson's legal situation, which kind of stinks for me because like now, if I went back to Steve and I was like, Hey, I'll give you Watson for Calvin Ridley. I don't even know if he would say yes. Um, just because it's like the way that it's pending right now. Um, like I don't see lie, like some Darren. of the trades on. Don't lie. You're lying right now to all the listeners. You know, this is awesome for you. Even with Watson's, you know, legal thing, all of it kind of points to he'll be suspended at least. Yeah. Uh, he's some probably going to year. year yeah. But maybe so. he'll be back the year after. But for you, like I said, you're sitting with like 12 top two round picks for this year yeah. and next year. And you're like, oh, darn, you're saying I might be back next year. The year where I have three first round picks again darn whatever like I don't think I can compete with Max's team or whatever anyways so I guess this kind of works out so I feel like I and I've been and I have been saying this a lot too if any Deshaun Watson owner can be happy with what's happening right now you're probably like the only owner in that situation where you're like eh like it sucks but I'm okay with it <laughs> yeah because if I'm like if I'm like really bad, like I might have, I might turn this really bad year where I'm probably not going to beat you or Max anyway. I might turn that into like Sam Howell or Brees Hall or something like that because I'll have like a top three. I'm probably not going to be worse than Jensen. That's pretty much locked in there, but maybe I'll get the second pick. <laughs> exactly. So I think that is like a kind of great situation to be in. But hey, let's point the light back at Steve's new team and let's break down his roster, man. Let's look at that quarterback room, which was like the sexiest most intimidating quarterback room ever when it had Patrick Mahomes Deshaun Watson Lamar Jackson Teddy Bridgewater and I think it had a couple more guys if I'm not mistaken that were kind of sitting there that he eventually traded away as well I think he had like Jacoby Brissett who actually did start for uh, Indianapolis like two years ago and things like he had other players in a super flex league that was able to work but what does the quarterback room look now for Steve um so he has Mahomes and Wentz who are pretty much like Mahomes is locked in for 10 years. Like he's going to be good. Um, Wentz he's locked in for at least two years. Then he has Teddy B who like, I don't know if he's ever going to start again. I put him there like with a question mark because maybe he'll, he'll be like traded and be like a stopgap guy kind of somewhere. But yeah, um, he's got two quarterbacks, you know, like he, he had three of the top five quarterbacks. And now he has two starters. <laughs> I mean, Mahomes alone makes this quarterback room really strong. Yeah, <laughs> you can put Mahomes in anyone, like a friend. Like it could be Mahomes and Teddy Bridgewater, and I'll be like, ah, uh, I mean, yeah, that's not great, but I mean, it's not bad at all. But the fact that he's able to double up with Wentz, and I know Wentz had one of the like one of the worst seasons for at least our point of view, just kind of seeing where he like all his potential where he could go, and then seeing the duck that he kind of did last year. And, but still I am, I don't know about you, Darren. I'm a believer in wins, especially going back to Indianapolis, getting back with the coaching staff that was able to bring him out to his full potential, good offensive line, getting some good weapons, a good defense. I feel like Wentz has every, like, this is his prove it year now. Like this is, this is, has to be his revenge tour being like, look, 
now I'm set up for success and now I am going to be good again. But if he is just like average, then I'm going to be like, damn, Wentz really, really sucks. But the fact that he has Mahomes there, I mean, damn, dude, like he played the Super Bowl with like one leg and he was getting pressure in his face. And remember that one throw he made when he was like parallel with the ground and then he and then he chucked it. And I was like, yo, like no one can do that. Literally no one can do that. And Mahomes can do it, obviously. And the fact that he's matched up with Andy Reid and he knows how to bring out the best in him and stuff like Mahomes is locked in for 10 years and he's going to be the best quarterback for a really long time. But then Wentz is when he gets into the picture where I am more on the side of the believer in Wentz, where I feel like he will be good. But I would like to kind of pick your brain on your thoughts on both Mahomes and Wentz right now before we kind of dive in a little bit for Teddy B. Um, For Teddy B? Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, I think he's he's a game manager. Like, he just, like, kind of – I don't Yo, know. Like, so I, don't even, bad, I was dude. surprised when he got, like, the money he got. He got, I think he got like a three-year, $60 million contract from the Panthers last year. And when I saw that, I was like, why? Why, <laughs> why is he getting that much money? Do people because, see like, Teddy Bridgewater differently? Because like whenever <laughs> like everyone was so high on him when he went to New Orleans and then now went over to, uh, you know, Carolina for a year, I was like, do people like not remember Teddy Bridgewater before like his legs got destroyed when he was a Viking? Like even when he was at his quote-unquote like highest point before injury, I was like, yeah, he's literally – He's literally the most he's, average quarterback. Like he's Andy Dalton. He was the most average, yeah. just fine. He's not good. He's not bad. He's just there. And then when everyone's like, yeah, he's going to be the guy. He's, I was like, do you guys like, he's a great guy. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to purely being able to throw the football and just play the quarterback position, I was like, why? And so I, I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of out of the loop on that. And I feel like you view Teddy Bridgewater the same way as I do. I just didn't understand the hype and the excitement whenever anyone was reading into Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. And it's kind of like the, uh, they, I don't know. They, they kind of like, I don't know. Teams just like guys that don't mess up, like that are just not going to put them in bad positions. Usually like defensive minded head coaches, like these kind of guys. Um, I just don't see like a spot, like now that Andy Dalton's in Chicago, like that could have been a spot for Teddy Bridgewater. Um, maybe, Denver, if Denver doesn't get one of these quarterbacks, maybe they make a trade for Teddy Bridgewater um, because they just like guys that just aren't going to make good mistakes. And then they're just going to be able to rely on them to get like those little dinky throws and uh, let the defense win the game like 10 to seven or whatever. Um, but he doesn't have that many options. And he, I, I got to think he's, I don't know how old he is, but I got to think he's close to 30 now. And like once the guys kind of reach that like 30 ish age is when they become like backups for the rest of their life. So, that's probably what he is from this point. Like he might get like one sh more shot maybe to be a starter, but he he's on the, the way out. Yeah. Way to the and bench at least. We don't have to really talk about Mahomes because every, anyone that watches football knows what Mahomes is, but how about Wentz, man? I know both of us are Philadelphia fans. And so I would kind of like to know what you think, what his future looks like in Indianapolis. Uh, I mean, I like you know I never really liked Wentz. I was kind of pissed when we traded up to get him, but I hope I hope he bounces back. Like he seems like he's a like I know that like all the rumors and stuff about the locker room. Like he's a he's a dick and he doesn't like listen to any of the coaches and all that stuff. And he none of the guys on the team liked him. But like I don't know. Like he seems like he's like a kind of a nice guy to me. Like at least like what he portrays in the media and stuff. Um. 
I, I hope that he he bounces back because like what he was given in Philadelphia the last couple of years, like I, I don't know how you even succeed with that to begin with. So um I hope he like his I, I think he's like a middle of the pack kind of quarterback. Like he's around like QB 15 or 16, like something like that. Um, so I think he could definitely reach back to where he was, but like the, the MVP season he had at 2017, he's probably never going to get back to that ever again. Um, but if he can get like middle of the pack, like, I think that's, that's good for him. You know, like, I, I think he's just, he, that that's better than most quarterbacks and he'll probably have at least like five, six years where he hangs around more. Yeah. I, I think I'm a believer in Wentz because I was just so aware of the garbage that was surrounding him. I mean, just this past yeah. year where he had like career lows, one of the worst quarterbacks in the entire NFL. And then I look at his receiving options. What like Greg Ward, Alshon Jeffrey that played for like a game, but he's slow as a I mean, he was caught and there's a reason why no team has picked up Alshon Jeffrey so far. And then like, what else? Like Travis Fulgham, uh, which actually did show up a couple of times. And uh, yeah, I mean, Deshaun Jackson, like he plays one game and, but other than that, like once had no one. And so like everyone is continuously. And obviously we had a lot of injuries to our offensive line and stuff like that. So all the shit that Wentz got is definitely deserved. I'm not trying to defend him, but at the same time, I'm trying to be more understandable looking at the situation that he was in and just being like, yeah, man, like put Aaron Rodgers back there and I'm sure he would be fine. But like, that's the caliber of quarterback that you kind of need to have to be fine behind what Wentz was given. So now that's why I'm a little bit more excited with Indianapolis where I feel like they're locked and loaded and they're pretty much a quarterback away. I'm not saying Wentz is the quarterback that's going to put him over the top for the Super Bowl, but that's what they think. And that's what I'm hoping. I, like, I wish nothing but the best from Wentz because Philadelphia media is fucking terrible. Like, I know you and I sometimes talk about, hey, did you hear about what they say about WIP or like any Philadelphia sports radio? I'm like, nah, Darren, I don't listen to that because that's straight <laughs> up toxic trash. Like, I don't listen to it at all. And so Wentz was probably dealing with that like every single day. And like from like a North Dakota guy coming to Philly, like that's just straight garbage. So I feel bad for him. So wish you the best in Indianapolis. But that is that quarterback room. How does the running back room now look like? Uh, it's it's mixing and Hunt. Um, I have a bunch of question marks. Like honestly, Kareem Hunt might even be like a question mark because like I don't know how his future is gonna go. Um, mm -hmm. he's going on twenty six now, and he's still a backup running back behind Nick Chubb. And if they resign Nick Chubb, he's gonna be a backup running back until he's at minimum twenty seven. And you got to think if he's 27 and he's looking for a new deal, he's probably going to be a backup for the rest of his career because yeah. um, there's going to be, a. I mean, you saw that the running back market was this year. Like the teams don't want to give a 27 year old running back. Like they're starting to figure it out. Like they're starting to figure out like, Hey, the dinosaurs get... are finally like, Hey, they're onto something, <laughs> <laughs> something that you and I were beating the drum on for the past five, like five years. years. Now they're ago. like, Oh wait, <laughs> like they're starting to figure it out. And like, they know that the best, the best five years of a running back is from 21 to 26. And then after that, they start to break down because as anybody, any human being would, if you just get beat up as much as they do. Um, so I think like maybe he's a, he's a backup the rest of his career. I don't know. Um, can't really see the future, but um, Kenyon Drake, he's a backup uh, James Connor and Chase Evans. So he owns the whole Arizona backfield, but like, you got to think that they're in, a 1A, 1B situation right now. I have no idea who the 1A is, but if they go out and they draft one of these, like Najee Harris or like Travis Etienne or something like that, both of these guys are pretty irrelevant. Um, it just kind of, I don't know. And they're both on one-year deals. They're both like 25 going on 26. 
So his running back room's kind of up in the air. Like he has Mixon, who's a solid piece. Um, I think he's 20, 24, 25, and he's in like a good offense. Like like you said, they need to upgrade their offensive line though, or he's gonna be have trouble again. Um, but he does have Mixon to work with. That's that's a plus. <laughs> I think this is Darren's nicest way of saying the running back room that Steve currently inherited is struggling. And I don't mean that in a bad context. I mean, you have Mixon, like I said, I'm a huge believer in Mixon. I've always loved Mixon, even in college. Um, of course, I downgraded him when that video came out where he absolutely KO'd that one girl. That was not good. But even with all that, like I was like, yo, this is a complete running back. And this is like the perfect running back for the direction the NFL is going. And anytime Mixon actually plays, he has those flashes. He has the patience and vision of the prime Le'Veon Bell, but he has the explosion and acceleration that Le'Veon Bell never had, in my opinion. And he's one of the best pass catchers, which I feel like is not usually accentuated enough in Cincinnati. And then Kareem Hunt in a vacuum. Darren, I think you and I see view the same way. I think Kareem Hunt in a vacuum is one of the most talented running backs in the NFL, period. Yeah, it's just he is in a run-heavy offense, which is great, but he's also on a team with uh, Nick Chubb, who you know I adore and I've always adored, and that kind of sucks for Hunt, but, I mean, Hunt enjoys it there. He's an Ohio boy, and he enjoys staying in Cleveland, the team that I guess took a chance on him after all that kind of stuff broke out. So maybe he rewarded them being like, yo, I'll stay with you guys because Hunt is the uh, quintessential player that helps your NFL team, but you wish he had a bigger role, at least in a fantasy context, because that's how good Kareem Hunt is. He doesn't need to touch the ball that often to still put up like RB2 numbers, if you will. But then like a little bit of you just would just be like, damn, like what if he got all of the load in whatever team? You know, like what if he was in Miami right now? What if he was in blah, blah, blah. Like that would be freaking awesome. But then all those question marks comes in with the Kenyon Drake, James Conner, Chase Edmonds. And so especially with the running back being so interchangeable, I feel like if you have a question mark, that's almost a death sentence because that's almost like, all right, the team is almost looking for an excuse to replace you. And the question marks that you have on here kind of affirms that for me. And so once again, there are much worse running back rooms in the PDL, but being a top three team with being this thin at running back, let's say, I mean, it's a realm possibility that Joe Mixon gets hurt, right? There's a realm of possibility that Kareem Hunt gets hurt and then Nick Chubb has to take a bigger load. There is a reality where all this kind of stuff happens, but if only just one of them goes down, like let's say Mixon goes down, what what, what are you doing? Are you starting Kenyon Drake and hoping that he takes a bigger role than Josh Jacobs or starting James Conner and hoping that he actually looks explosive unlike last year? Like he's put in a really tough position in my opinion. Yeah, it's... um it's not like the best because it, like you said, like his running back room is way better than mine, but at the same time, if he loses Joe Mixon, he has four, four like backup ish running backs. Um, mm-hmm. I know Kareem Hunt was really good last year, but I think Nick Chubb missed like half the season, right? Like he missed like eight games. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I know at a time, like when I traded Kareem Hunt to Chuck, I thought that Kareem Hunt, like I thought there was no way he was going to resign there. And then like he did like a couple weeks later, but I thought there was no way he was going back to Cleveland and he resigned like a three-year deal. And that was kind of like, damn, like, cause like you said, like, I think he's one of the five or six best running backs in the league. So if he was on somewhere like Miami or like New York or like San Francisco or something, like he would mm. be incredible, like absolutely incredible. But like, he Dude, just not if he was in San Francisco, just put him in the Super Bowl now. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, like he's literally if he was in San Francisco, he would be the number one fantasy running back. But it's just not. Oh my god, unbelievable! He's just not going to get that chance because I guess he just likes being in Cleveland. I don't know. Maybe it keeps his it keeps his head on straight or something. I don't know. Um, he's not tempted by the hotter girls in every other city. He's yeah. like, oh, I just got Cleveland girls here, so I don't need to kick them. They're they're fine. But it, oh man, if I was over in Miami or if I was in San Francisco, oh boy, he'd be getting in heaps of trouble there. He he'd be getting a little too distracted, in my opinion. And so where he's lacking in the running back room, I feel like he makes up for it in the wide receiver room. What do you think, Darren? Yeah, his receiver room is very good. Uh, he has Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, Calvin Ridley, and then the aforementioned Robbie Anderson. Um, oh, you didn't even put a question mark on Robbie Anderson, Darren. I'm proud of you. Well, I mean, you can't really put a question mark when he is the number two passing option in that offense uh you got dj Moore and robbie anderson you don't really have anything else christian mccaffrey was gone well christian mccaffrey yeah but like technically it's like 100 catches a game or like a year right when he's fully healthy depending depending on the quarterbacks like you gotta think i don't don't know does sam Darnold check down i don't know but if i'm at rule i'm gonna be like sam Darnold, you're not gonna fuck this up just yeah, give it to the best that. player on the field give it to kitchen mccaffrey like so, yeah. kitchen mccaffrey isn't gonna go from target like 120 times a year when he's fully healthy to be like oh yeah yeah mccaffrey only caught the ball 32 times which is still decent but like that like christian mccaffrey yeah, gonna, his whole game right. is the fact that he can do everything you're right he's gonna have at least 75 catches so yeah, yeah he might be mccaffrey might be the number the number two option yeah you're probably right um, but then Robbie Anderson is still, he's still a top three o- option, no matter how you look at it. Um, they're probably not going to get like Kyle Pitts or yeah. Jamar Chase or anybody like that. So like, it's going to be those three guys. It's also the connection like that Robbie Anderson runner. has with Matt Rule too, right? They go all the way back to college. So Matt Rule yeah, saw that and he wanted Robbie Anderson and the way that Robbie Anderson yeah. fit that Carolina team was unlike what we saw in New York. New York was literally like, all right, you're just going to run streaks, the nine route, the entire game. That's all you're going to do. And then when Matt Rule got him, Robbie didn't really, he wasn't like that deep threat. He did like a lot of short to intermediate stuff, but I think he was utilized better, if that makes sense. Like he wasn't a one trick pony anymore. And I think Matt Rule knew what Robbie Anderson was. So it was really cool to be like, oh, it's refreshing. Here's a coach that actually utilizes a player the way that they could probably better be used. Not just, hey, just do this one thing. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Like I hate when coaches get lazy. So that's kind of cool to see. So I feel like because Matt Rule likes Robbie Anderson so much, I really doubt even if they do get some pass catcher in the second, third round or something like that, I feel like Robbie Anderson still has a role in this offense. Yeah, I I, I don't know. Robbie Anderson's so weird because like, like, you know, like I went to Temple. I was there when Robbie Anderson was there. Um, and I don't know. Like, I know he, he was like a late round or like undrafted guy by the Raiders. And I thought he sucked at Temple. Like, I can't believe that he is in the NFL and he's like good because like he was like a string bean, like in college. And like, I just didn't think he was going to be any good. And, don't like, you know his secret is, though? Like, he just waits. What? Um, he just waits for a strong gust of wind, and then that's when the quarterback knows the same height. <laughs> yeah, that's when the quarterback's decides he's like, "Oh man, we got some backdraft." And then Robbie and just starts to run, and his twenty-pound frame flies. And then Tyree Kill is even like, "What the fuck? Who is this guy?" Robbie Anderson's like, "Yo, I'm actually just drafting right now. Like, I'm just I'm flying because the wind is pushing." That's his secret, man. He wears an extra big jersey so that he goes faster. <laughs> He has that parachute effect where he's just like, all right, here we go. Here we go. Whatever. But no, you're right. I'm a little bit surprised on him. But hey, we spent a lot more time around Anderson than I thought we would. Let's talk about his crown 
jewels, dude. Hill, Diggs, Ridley. Those three are big knocks and huge, huge guys that can dominate a game at any point. And I would be hard-pressed to believe if I said name the top, you know, eight to top five wide receivers, uh, not strictly in a dynasty format, but just in fantasy football in general, you'd have to list those three in there at some point, right? Yeah, I think you could make an argument that all three of these guys are top five dynasty receivers. Like, I think you can make an argument for it. For sure. Um, it, they're they're all very, very, very good. Uh, all tied to good quarterbacks, all relatively young. Um, I think Hill and Diggs are 27 and then Ridley's 26. So, like, he's got at least a couple more years of their prime. Um, and it's like Tyreek Hill is – attached to Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs, Matt Ryan for at least two more years with Calvin Ridley. Um, so you don't have to worry about the quarterback being an issue for any of these guys. Um, they're all very good. Like he doesn't have anything to worry about with the top three receivers, like nothing. Yeah. And I think the thing that I like about these three receivers, uh, especially the top two that we talk about Hill and Diggs, and this is not a knock on Ridley, but the way I view it is not just a talent in a vacuum sense on how good I think they are just as a wide receiver and an athlete, but it's the roles that they have on their offense. Like there's no other Tyreek Hill on the Kansas city chiefs. And you know, when Tyreek Hill's in the game, there's a game plan for him. They have a, a couple guaranteed plays that Hill is going to have in you know, the full game that he is playing and he's going to get his same with Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs got so many catches, so many targets, like that is his team. And so, you know, Stefan Diggs is going to get at least what, like 12 targets a game. Like that's like his thing. And I know no matter what, Josh Allen's still going to throw to him like 12 times uh, at like a minimum. And then Ridley, of course, he is carving himself in Atlanta right now on his role, whether that is complimenting Julio or eventually you know, surpassing him. So all three of these wide receivers, they're not just good, but at least in a game plan sense, they are just absolute home runs. They are every single game. I don't care who they're playing against. I don't know who they're lined up against. They're going to get theirs because they're just game planned into the script and stuff like that. So I feel like that's kind of what kind of transcends them to the next level. Not only are they good, but their team essentially needs them for their offense to run, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And they, they definitely do. Like if you take Tyreek Hill, uh, Stefan Diggs, especially off of their offense, like it's not the same offense. Um, Calvin Ridley, if Julio's healthy, you could probably get by. Um, but like without Ridley, it's still not the same. Like it's not the same thing. Like if you don't have to factor in Calvin Ridley when you're playing just Julio, you can just double Julio and they don't have, they literally don't have anything else that's like you got to worry about. Exactly. So, but yeah, Matt Ryan also has the thing where he just throws for a lot of yards. Like that's just like mm -hmm. Matt Ryan's thing. He throws for a bunch of yards. And if you're throwing for like, you know, 4,000 yards every single year, even if Julio is healthy for full 16 games, which he very rarely does, but let's give him the benefit of the doubt and give him 16. And Matt Ryan throws for another 4,000 yard season. I'm sorry to break it to you, but Julio isn't going to be getting like all 4,000 of those yards. And Calvin Ridley is going to get a bunch of yards too. So he's one of the quarterbacks where I'm like, yeah, he can definitely, definitely sustain some good options there and someone with really skill like that's not even like saying oh me it's like oh no he's already done it and he's done it multiple times so there's no reason not to think that he can't do it again exactly 
And so how about that tight end room? I know now we're moving to tight end premium and it looks like pass catchers is kind of a specialty over with Steve's team, right? Yeah. So he's got Darren Waller. So he's, um, the target. He's tied to your favorite quarterback. Huh? Carr. Yeah. <laughs> he, I, well, I mean, Derek Carr is good for the tight end. He is. Cause that's all he likes to throw within five yards of the line of scrimmage. And that's where Darren Waller is. So well, don't you see his eyeliner is so thick. He can't really see that far. So his like peripheral vision's a little off. So he's <laughs> like, Oh my God, here's yards. the six, six guy who's <laughs> running a five yard slant. Let me throw it to that guy. It makes it easy for him. Maybe if you see a guy that's that big, like it's like, all right, that's where I'm going to throw. He's always within five, 10 yards. And then he can, he's fast enough that he can make him a, make it look like I've got a better, uh, better yardage because he can run like 40 yards after it. Darren Waller is undoubtedly like a top three, top four tight end, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I know he's like kind of starting to get older. I think he's like 28 or 29. Um, but he so doesn't have that much in tread that in his tires either. It's not like his body was constantly yeah, beat. Well, it might've been like beating, beat up by drugs and stuff, but I mean, other than yeah. that, he's clean now. So it's not like, like Darren Waller, 27, 28 is completely different than like other players that might have been like Zeke. It, that Those are mm-hmm. two different players. Mm-hmm. So I, I think like, he should be good like another three, four years. Um, then he has Gronk, who Gronk's his backup tight end. I have no idea how much longer Gronk's going to play. Um, he was good last year. Like he, I think he was like a top eight tight end last year. So I think, I think he might play as long as Brady does, which I don't know how long that is. Um because he, he seemed like he was healthy and he like was having a good time last year. He didn't seem like he was like played by any injuries. Um, so I, I think he's going to go as long as he can, as long as, as long as Brady's there, because he's not going to play with any other quarterback. So I think as long as Brady's there, he's going to keep trying to play. He might retire a little bit before Brady because Brady might play until he's like 50 years old, but he's going to try. And he, like, I mean, I got to think like he might slow down because of the, accumulated injuries that he's had over his career um he is like 32 ish now i think so like maybe he's a top 12 tight end this year instead of a top eight and like the year after that maybe he's like top 15 um but i mean he's crunk so who knows maybe he's catching like 10 touchdowns next year and he's still a top 10 tight end i don't know Honestly, I can't think of a better offense that Gronk can be a part of than this Tampa Bay offense, because when he was over in New England, he was definitely like that number one threat. Like even Mm -hmm. when they had Wes Welker, Edelman and all these other like options. Yeah, they're scary, but nothing scares you more than Gronk. And so when I'm the defensive coordinator, I'm like, yo, he's a big ass target. So anytime he even touches the ball or even if he's blocking, just hit him, just keep hitting him. He's so big. He's going to wear down. Whereas when you're in Tampa Bay, dude, Mike Evans is super duper physical. Ronald Jones is super duper physical. They have Chris Godwin who could slice you up. Even Scotty Miller can slice you. Like, like they have so many different options. So by the time Gronk comes in all fresh and stuff, the last thing you want to do is tackle like a six, six gigantic piece of muscle running down the field. You know what I mean? And so like, you can't put that much focus on Gronk, even if you want to punish him because you just can't. And so I feel like that's such a great offense for him to be a part of because he doesn't need a high snap percentage to get his dues. Like you said, like it would not surprise me if Gronk played all 16 games, but only got like 20 snaps a game, but still ends the year with 10 touchdowns. Like that's, that's like something I almost expect right now because in the red zone, you can't get any better chemistry than 
what Brady and Gronk have. So even if you only want to put Gronk in and just red zone situations, which obviously they won't because he's a great blocker and he could do a lot of great things. But even if that's what Bruce Arians wanted to do with Gronk and just kind of save him for the playoffs to really unleash him. But during the regular season, they just want to only play him in the red zone. He's still a top eight tight end. Like if Gronk ends with 10 touchdowns, the way that like there's almost no good tight ends in the league. If you get 10 touchdowns, yeah. you're guaranteeing yourself as a tight end one. Like, I don't care if you only have like 400 yards that season or less. If you have double digit touchdowns, you're a top, top tight end. And so I feel yeah. like his tight end group is good, but Gronk has that little bit of ambiguity because he's a little bit older. But the fact that he has Waller, yo, that's that's not bad. Having Gronk as your tight end two in case Waller might get hurt or whatever on by, there are much worse options at tight end than having Gronk as your tight end too. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And like with us going to tight end premium, I know Gronk's not going to be a guy anymore that's going to get like six catches in a game, but he might be might be flex viable, maybe like oh I um, think so. I mean weeks. if he just catches a touchdown right away, he's a tight end one for that week. Like I, I don't true. care if he only gets like one catch for a touchdown. That's 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 just kind of showing how bad the tight end landscape is. And that's why I was pushing for tight end premium so much. But looking at his team, that was actually going to be a question I asked. It looks like he has some good players, obviously, at quarterback Mahomes, Wentz, a wide receiver. Uh, we've already exhausted that. But when it comes to flexes, because wide receiver, you have to start three. So he's obviously going to be starting Hill Diggs Ridley, and then he might have Robbie Anderson in an S flex. But if you look at running back, he has to start two. So that's obviously going to be Mixon and Hunt. But then you need one more flex position right so who are you starting drake connor edmonds maybe even gronk i feel like gronk definitely has an ability to at least be a flex option for this team specifically yeah and it's it might be someone that he's starting like on a weekly basis um it's kind of it's kind of like the theme that we've seen with like the last couple teams like they're like very top heavy um and it's just like if one piece goes away, then you're you're kind of screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. But that's kind of what kind of adds to the parity. And that's why even our power rankings right now that we created, yo, someone, one of the superstars on one of the teams can just get hurt throughout the season. And then that team is just going to plummet because they just might not have depth, which is why it's going to be fun to kind of reflect back and see what things have gone to. But before we get to the biggest team needs and what you would do, Darren, what does the draft picks look like for Steve? I know Chuck kind of was allergic to draft picks and tried to get rid of all of them, but uh, how much draft capital is he sitting with right now? Um, the cupboard is pretty bare. He has one fourth round pick next year, one third round pick next year, or one fourth round pick this year, sorry, two fourth round picks next year and one third round pick next year. So, so he has nothing, basically nothing. <laughs> yeah, he has nothing. Like I, I know we all like to look at the draft with rose tinted glasses and be like, yo, but that third can be a Deontay Johnson or that third can turn into a, a Antonio He's Gibson cool. or something like that. I'm, and I'm sitting here like, okay, well, why didn't you name like the 50 other players that were drafted in the past two drafts that, was yeah. nothing you know what i mean yeah you gotta and, get really lucky yeah and so for me first round picks I, I i do value them second round picks i almost don't value them at all and i know that's weird because you and i we have a pretty good hit percentage in the second round but you know as much as i want to toot my own horn and toot your own horn there's a lot of luck that is involved with that right darren like i want to flex for you be like yo look darren has done it consistently second round pick is almost should be as valuable as the first because darren's just that good with him but i think you'd have to agree with me 
The first round is risky as it is. Then when you get to the second round, you're just praying that um, the owners in front of you don't take certain players. And even if they do, you're like, okay, well, I guess I really hope that. Oh, I really hope that Justin Jefferson now pans out. I really wanted Denzel Mims and I really wanted Rager, but I just hope he, you know what I mean? There's so many mm-hmm. factors that go into a second round pick. So that's why in the PDL, when everyone's like, oh, dude, yeah, I wouldn't even give that up for a second round pick. I'm sitting here being like, what? Are you, are you serious right now? Like I would give that up for a second round pick any day of the week. So I feel like that's why I've been trying to take advantage of that. And that's why uh, I know when we talk about my team, uh, it's going to be no surprise that I have no picks at all, but this team sitting with one fourth this year, a third and two fourths in 2022, to me, he's just sitting with nothing. Yeah. So I think like even, I don't know, it would, it would look better even if he did have a second round pick, even though like, I think like the hit rate on a second round pick is probably like 30 ish percent. Um, like I, like I said be. before, I, 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 cause I think it's probably like 50% in the first round. And then like 30-ish in the second round, and then like 15% in the third round, something like that. Yeah. And then like the fourth round's like five. Um, but it's like you, you gotta you gotta pretty much get lucky because like like I said in one of the past pods, like um if Jensen didn't trade up in front of me, like because I did that trade with Welch where I had the seventh pick in the second round last year. And if Jensen didn't trade up in front of me to get the sixth pick, um I would have taken Jordan Love instead of Brandon Ayuk and Jordan Love. I don't know if he's ever going to play in the NFL. So like I could have, I would have made a bad pick most likely because, you know, I could have had Brandon Ayuk who's a top 20 ish dynasty wide receiver right now. And I would have gotten Jordan Love instead. So it is like, it's like luck. Like you gotta, you gotta kind of look into it a little bit. Yeah. Um, But it's still like, the first pick in the draft, like Trevor Lawrence, like Trevor Lawrence this year is a kind of like an exception um, because he's, he's most likely going to be good, but the chance of him and then like whoever the fifth quarterback say it's like Mac Jones, like Mac Jones could be better than, than Trevor Lawrence. Like no one, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Mac Jones is better than Trevor Lawrence in a fantasy. Like it's just not, it's like, so it, it could be possible. Um, it's just, it's just kind of the luck of the draft. Like it's the same thing as with the real NFL draft. Like those, those freaking guys with that, their career, they don't even know what the hell they're doing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. So that's why the draft is so ambiguous and stuff like that. And that's why it's so much fun. And that's why I'm so excited for the draft. That's going to be coming soon for the NFL. And then eventually the PDL draft. But what would you say is the biggest need for uh, Steve? Like what would you do if you were Steve and you inherited um, this team? I don't, I don't know. Like he's not, he doesn't have anything that he could like, maybe if he was able to trade like Ridley for like, or Ridley or Diggs or Hill for like a running back that he could start and be more confident in. And then like a little bit of a downgrade, like it's kind of like a two for one or something like that. Um, Cause he doesn't need like a tight end. He doesn't need a receiver. Like, running back is the only area because he's obviously he's not going to tear this thing down for draft picks or anything like that um, because his team is too close to that top tier. So that's, that that's the, the only thing that he's I sitting with no draft picks too. I feel like that helps the fact of like, mm-hmm. I can't rebuild right now. I have nothing like I'd be starting from scratch. Whereas yeah. it's, it, it's, it's pretty win now. It looks like for me. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's like, I don't know. Like, what do you, He's got limited options because of the way that he was set up, which kind of sucks for him. But 
because he does seem like the kind of guy that like he wants to make moves like and he wants to to make his team better but like he's kind of he's kind of in a bad position right now yeah uh, I, I'm in a similar vein as you. I think uh, as much as it might hurt him, I would definitely pick Hill, Diggs, or Ridley. One of them. Whichever one that you feel like you don't want or maximize the value for, then do exactly that. Maximize that value because your wide receiver room is great. Having Robbie Anderson as your number three wide receiver might not be as sexy as having like Ridley as your number three, but then you'll get a monumental upgrade at running back. And hey, you might even be able to get another smaller wide receiver that fills in after you get a stud running back too. So I feel like his team will look a lot stronger if he did it in that type of context, but kind of similar to it's really, really tough to gauge because hey, what if Wentz goes down? What if Mahomes goes down? Like, then the team goes from very close to that top tier to be able to uh, win the championship to, oh man, this team is pretty bad now. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it's like hanging on by a thread, but Hey, it's top three for a reason. We're not here to trash the team. We're just trying to being honest, being like, if this was my team, what would I do? I think that's what I would do. It's very similar to what you said. Take one of the stud wide receivers, flip it and try to upgrade other positions while also maybe getting a little bit depth of that wide receiver to kind of maybe replace something like that. So I'm actually interested to hear what you want to do for the owner grade here. Did you want to do like an owner grade on what you think that could be? Or do you just maybe not an owner grade, maybe just do like a team grade, how you would grade that team? Like, so I kind of am leaving this open-ended to kind of get your thoughts. Do you want to do an owner grade of like how Danny Chuck Steve did or what? Yeah, maybe we should do an owner grade for Danny, Chuck, and Steve. Oh, this this is this is easy. I'll start. Danny gets an A plus <laughs> plus. He's like, no, in video games, there's something higher than an A. It's called S. It's an S tier. Danny gets an S. No one else I'm ever gonna give out will ever get an S. I mean, there's a reason why the best owner of the year in the PDL is named after Danny. It's just called the Wii. And yeah, he's an S tier grade. How about you? Yeah, I, I would say Danny's an A plus. Like he he knew how to do this super flex thing better than any of us did um, at the start. Like he started out with Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, and like all of us. Like I remember when I was with you at the beginning here, and we were like, "Yeah, Cam Newton and Carson Wentz. Like that's gonna be good." <laughs> oh, like, dude, it was. It we was we had no idea what we were doing. I think if we read this thing whole right now, like I think the first two picks in the draft when we first started were. Uh, Saquon and or Christian McCaffrey and then Saquon or something like that um, those two would be like at the very end of the first round pick if they even made it in the first round pick I think if we I, read I it right now so. I wouldn't touch a running back until a lot later <laughs> yeah so like you're you're gonna figure like if we redid it right now the first like what 10 picks are probably quarterbacks so like Danny knew how to do this before any of us did <laughs> like he, he was just he was miles ahead of us before like anything happened. And so, by the time we caught up to understand how good it was, Danny would still be ahead of us. Cause then he'd already be ahead on knowing other things that we don't. So that's yeah. why I'm like, damn, if Danny was in here, dude, he would have won this league two times in a row already and getting ready yeah, for uh, his third. <laughs> absolutely. Like, I have no doubt. He, and he wouldn't, cause he was definitely like, he knew how to trade and stuff too. Like he was definitely harder to trade with than, than Chuck was like, I remember like I was trying to, uh, I was trying before he left. I was trying to get because this is when I was with Kenny. I was trying to get um Jacoby Brissett, and he was like trying to get like like something like a second round pick plus a player for Jacoby Brissett, and I was like, dude, no! Like I was like, I'm not doing that. And he was like, yeah, but he's a quarterback. He has more value. And I was like, I don't care what the fuck he is. But like that was in the beginning, and now like back then for starting quarterback, 
second round picks probably fair like, even if it's only going to be a starting quarterback for one year and, oh yeah especially if you're like, like a win now team and you're just like <laughs> you just need a quarterback just to fill in for that super flex and you got Brissett who does exactly that yeah I would give up a second for that in a heartbeat yeah but I didn't like at the time I didn't understand that so I was like this guy's out of his fucking mind and <laughs> I was like but now like he was right like he knew he knew how to, to do it better than than any of us at the beginning like and he, and he just he went out like a house fire and he was gone <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about the other side of the pendulum what owner grade would you give the famous chuck uh uh i don't know like i don't want to give anybody an f but yeah you do i know how much you hate a chuck I'm gonna, yeah i'm gonna give chuck an f like he's gonna be the one f i give it's gonna be he's got an f like he was he was terrible. He was extremely inactive. He didn't really, like, he made three trades the whole time he was here. He didn't make any ad drops. He didn't do anything. If he was, if he had this team that Danny set up with him and he could have done so much more, like he had, like I was telling you when, when I took over um, Gabe's team, I was like, can you just kick Chuck so I can take his team? <laughs> like, I was like, can't you just do that? And he, you were like, no, like, I can't, like, I can't. Cause probably just cause you didn't want to set me up with that team. Oh, but. dude, that, that, that's not probably, that's 100% why, like, you know, like, it's no secret, you and I are really close friends, but I would fucking kill myself if you took over Chuck's team, because look at what you've already done with Gabe's team, if you had all the ammunition that Chuck had, oh my yeah. god, dude, like, you would and pretty we- much match up the trajectory that Danny would have had, like, I think Danny would win, like, four or five years in a row, because that's just how strong he put it. I, you're not far past that. You would win this league three, four times in a row if you had all that ammunition. He had to, was able to make the good flips and stuff like that. Yeah, it's kind of like like what I see Chuck is Danny was Sam Hinkey. So Danny set, set up all these assets and all of the stuff that you can't screw it up. And then Chuck is Brian Colangelo. He came <laughs> in and he, he floundered all this shit and he didn't know what he was doing and he just kind of got kicked out. Like, I mean, he left on his own free will, but like, basically he knew like his time, his time was up. Like he knew that he was never going to keep up with any of the rest of us in this league. So he, he left. So I, I got to say he's enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. I, I'm not, I don't remember. I have, I wish I had like my owner grades in front of me, but I, I'm, I'm going to go and say the same thing. I'm going to give him enough only because just like the metaphor you used, imagine just being given a key to a beautiful mansion furnished with everything you have the ps5 you got the xbox series you got you got a little uh virtual reality you got a bowling alley downstairs and you can just give it to some teenager that just has parties every single night because just to show off how awesome everything is but you just don't upkeep it and you just trash everything and then uh, fast forward two years you look around and you're like damn this place is not nearly as nice as what it was when i first entered now i'm just gonna i'm just selling it i'm leaving now that's essentially yeah. what happened. Like uh, a lot of his trade blockbuster trades, I could see where he was coming from, but he had the three best quarterbacks essentially in yeah. dynasty superflex format. And I'm not saying his team is bad. I mean, he's ranked number three. This team is ranked number three. So please don't hear what we're not saying. This team is not bad, but I feel like this team could be miles, it miles be one, better. Easily. Oh, yeah. way, way better. So I feel like every transaction he's made, I was like, oh, I mean, I yeah. see what you're doing, but you could have done better. But I could confidently say this team is much worse than what Danny left it as. So being given like a, you know, given that silver spoon and then completely just botching it, 
there's no excuse for that. And I don't think we're being mean by giving it enough. We're just being honest. And I feel like that's why some people like listening. We're not sugarcoating it. I feel like that's just what it is. This is straight up F. And not just to act on that. I think another layer is just how inactive he was, not just the trades and how he hurt his team and how he left it worse than when he first received it. It was also his inability to be active and try to, you know, foster those relationships. And I feel like that's a big part of the reason why you and I fire off a lot of trades. It's we have good relationships with most owners. We talk a lot. And, you know, when it comes to negotiating, isn't it, it isn't as formal as, Hey, person who I usually never talk to. Let's talk about trade. It's more like, Oh, Hey, Max. Hey, Welch. Hey, you know, Jensen, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I see that you need this. Oh, let's work on that. Whereas, you know, Chuck probably couldn't do that because he probably didn't even know a lot of people's first names. Even he probably only knew them by whatever name they are in sleeper. Exactly. And they're like, whatever. So I feel like that's what it goes. So, yeah, man, Steve, I'm excited to see what you do with this team. Um, you have big shoes to fill. Well, not really. Danny left the big shoes to fill. Chuck did nothing. So anything that you do will be miles ahead, I feel like, than what Chuck has left behind. So, hey, I'm looking at you. You're on our radar. You've so far impressed with the amount of knowledge and kind of um, discussions that you bring up in the PDL. Now I'm excited to see how you apply all of that knowledge and kind of crafting your team. So definitely keep a lookout for that. And so, hey, let's jump over to the dessert, Darren, if that's okay with you. I would love to get your reactions on some news that happened in the NFL. And of course, I purposely put this on here. So I put the dessert on here because you know how much I've been following this team for good reason. The Bengals got some new jerseys there. And I know this is more of a special conversation for us because I remember last year when the Bengals got Joe Burrow, I was like, oh my God, I want his jersey, but I'm going to wait because you and I were like, oh wait, they're going to go through a rebrand next year. So I'm, I'm not going to buy his jersey now. I'll buy his jersey next year. Do you think that was worth the wait? What are your reactions on the new jerseys? I mean, I, I like them. Like I think that they're, they didn't change that much, but they changed just enough where they're, they're better. Um, they look like, they're like cleaner. Um, I don't know. I just think they look better. Like they do kind of give me like Marble Newtown vibes, but like they just look, they look nicer to me. I think one of the biggest changes that I've liked from these years, but like you said, it's very minimal changes, but the minimal changes are all great. There's a lot of people are like, I don't see a difference and I don't blame them for that. But some of the changes that I really like is the uh, font choice of the numbers. They don't have that weird shadow thing that they used to do. And on their sleeves, what uh, Cincinnati used to do was if you're wearing just like the home jersey, the sleeves would be a different color and be striped. And I hated that. I was like, that's just so blocky. That's so like, it doesn't flow. It doesn't look nice. And I think the best way to describe the Bengals New Jersey is just clean. It's simple. It's simple and clean. There's nothing that you could hate about it. There's nothing that you'll love about it, but it just looks nice. And for me personally, I'm glad that I waited because I feel like all three choices, there's the orange one, white one, and the black one. Of course, there are some of them I like more than the others, but hey, I'm happy with all three. I I feel like some more improvements could have been used, but I'm completely okay with where they settled and things like that. So out of those three, which one's your favorite? Uh, I think the, I mean, it's not like I'm ever going to wear a full NFL uniform, but I think the all whites that Joe Burrow is wearing, I think they look like the nicest. Um, I, I think... The orange, um, the orange with the black pants, they look cool. And then the white with the black pants and the all blacks, like all, all blacks always look cool for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that it, the, like, I know like the one of the other pods, like I was talking shit on Nike, how they, the last, all the jerseys they've done, like they messed them up. But like the last couple, like where they've just gone like 
simple stuff like the Bucks, where they just went back to like the early 2000s and they kind of like slightly updated it. Um, the Browns and then now the Bengals, like the last three that they've done. Um, they've been pretty good. Well, that was that was before these last three. I think the last three were these three, right? The the Browns, the Bengals. No, no, I think no, no, the Jets definitely happened after in between that. No, yeah, I feel like the Jets was much more recent than the Browns change, right? Didn't the Browns change happen? No, the like Browns was last year. Oh, was it? Oh, I don't maybe I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, the no, Jets then you're was, right. You're I think right. Two years ago. And then okay. well, actually the Falcons might have been there. And the Falcons is awful. I hate the Falcons. Oh, that's jerseys. horrendous. The Falcons jerseys are so bad. <laughs> the Falcons are really bad. The Rams are really bad. So yeah, they're like they're like three for five in the last like year or so. And then the Jets are horrendous too, but that was a little bit past this, like a little bit, not, not much. So you yeah, can say they're the Jets are they're fifty percent. They got a fifty percent batting average in the last two years. <laughs> so, but you would at least put the Bengals on the win side, not the Jets yeah, slash Rams Falcon side. Definitely, and I, I honestly, like the Rams were the Rams jerseys are close. Like they're close to being good. Like the blue um, uniforms, if they just weren't didn't have that stupid gradient on them like they would be they'd be nice um, yeah dude i hate the bone though the bone is terrible yeah, the bone i don't know why i don't understand like if the bone was like an alternate jersey fine but like that, how yeah, do they not fine. have a white uniform like how do they not have a white uniform it's so right weird. also it's did you like, hear about the bengals uh scenario the blacks are actually going to be their homes the whites will be away and the orange is the alternate people thought that the orange was going to be the home but it's actually the blacks Okay, I I can I can see that. I I think like I don't know. The orange is like usually obnoxious. Like the I think the Broncos are orange now too. And then like the I don't know. It just looks it's just too much. Like I agree. That's why I like uh, I like the color rush sometimes. But if it was like every single team always did all of their color rushes, my eyes would just be like, yo, yeah, like the Seahawks with the neon green. Oh, dude, let's not even go there. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's too much. But no, I agree with you. I I like the uh, I like how they're doing black. Like I said, almost you can't make black look bad, at least on a jersey. It's so dominant and it's just so nice. And so I really like that style. And also, it's really appropriate for I mean, Bengals are a tiger. And I know you're saying, oh, well, Tommy. Tigers are actually all orange with black. Well, that's a little obnoxious. And I think the change up from going all black and having the stripes still and the orange, I think that's so nice to kind of look at and whatnot. And hey, I'm hoping this is a new era for Cincinnati. And I know that's what they're thinking too. So uh, I am a big fan. And so let's kind of stay on that same topic. The last thing that we're going to have for this meal, the last course of this dessert, let's talk about Chase a little bit. Jamar Chase. And he's somewhat connected, obviously, to Cincinnati because he was on that dominant, undefeated, historic 2019 LSU team with Joe Burrow. And I believe a couple months ago, maybe, even Joe Burrow was like, he wasn't saying, I feel like the media kind of overblew. It's like, he would like it if Jamar Chase was on his team. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> Jamar Chase is yeah. awesome. And when he was on the same team, they were great. That wasn't Joe Burrow saying, don't get me any offensive line help. Don't do that. You have to get Chase with the number six pick or whatever. That's not what he was saying. But where do you think would be the best and worst landing spot for Jamar Chase? Let's start with the best. Where would you think that he would be the most fantasy viable um, of where he could potentially go? And I think we have to wear that carefully. Like I said, uh, before we started the show, we're not going to say like, oh, you know, if he goes to the Patriots, he becomes obviously their number one option. Uh, Or if he were to go over to, you know, uh, maybe even over to the Colts or something like that. That'd be kind of cool. Or, hey, what if the Chiefs somehow get it with Mahomes to compliment, you know, all that? Like, yeah, that would be great, but that's not going to happen. So in the realm of possibility, where do you think his best landing spot would be for fantasy specifically? Uh, I mean, so right now you got to think that he has three options of where he's going to go. 
it's going to be Cincinnati, Miami, or Detroit. Um, to me, I think Miami is probably the best landing spot of those three. Um, I know like, like the Joe Burrow connection, all that stuff, but like, if he goes to Cincinnati, they don't have an offensive line. They already have T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Joe Mixon. So it's a crowded offense. Uh, usually offenses for fantasy purposes, they don't support that many players and have yeah. them be like good. Um, so to me, I think that's probably his worst landing spot going to Cincinnati. I think I would rather have him in Detroit, even though they have just Jared Goff, like at least he's going to be, have a shit ton of targets. He's going to be like, the gonna, one there. Yeah. The offense is going to be extremely bad, but at least he's going to get a bunch of targets. Like it's not guaranteed that he's going to get those targets in Cincinnati. So, but I mean, I, I definitely think that if he goes to Miami, it's definitely his best spot because he's the number one receiver. Um, they have Will Fuller, who's like a deep threat and then Mike Kosecki, but that's pretty much it. So, mm-hmm. To me, I think Miami's the best spot. Yeah, I'm kind of torn here because I feel like uh, in real life, NFL-wise, I think Cincinnati home run. Like, he would contribute to help that team win more than fantasy-wise. But I'm kind of on the same lines with you. And I'm torn, too. I'm torn between Miami and I'm torn between, obviously, Detroit. They have two different philosophies. And now I'm looking at quarterback, right? That's kind of where the brain would go. And I think of Tua Tagovailoa and I think of Jared Goff. And now I have to think, well... It's not that fair of a comparison there because Detroit wants to run the ball and they've made that very evident. Uh, That's Mm. the direction that they want to go. And Jared Goff, though, has had some pretty good years where he airs it out. Tua, on the other hand, well, what what do we have in Tua? Is he someone that's going to be 3,500 yards passing, a bunch of touchdowns, or is he just going to be more of like a game manager? Which is, once again, that's not a knock on him, but that – has to be in the back of my mind and thinking, all right, then what would the future look like? Cause the quarterback, how productive they are is obviously a direct correlation of what wide receivers they have available. And if you were to tell me point blank right now to or golf, I mean, it's hard not for me to pick golf right now only because he has done it, but that was all through McVay. So then a little part of me is like, no, I, I want to go with the ambiguity of Tua. I think he can do it. So I think Miami would be a great, great spot for them to be able or for chase to be able to get his, And I think in a fantasy aspect, as weird as it sounds, I agree with you completely. I think Cincinnati would suck for him because he would be great still. Don't get me wrong, but T Higgins will still get his and Joe Mixon will get the ball and he catches the ball a lot as well. Whereas in Miami, he's only really competing with uh, Will Fuller and Gasicki, but both of those, they're great. But when Chase is there, he's the guy and Detroit, he's obviously the guy, but that's a run first offense and I don't know Detroit. I just don't trust Detroit at all for almost anything. So it's kind of hard to put there. So where would you say would be the absolute worst? I'm assuming you would agree and say when you said it would be the Bengals, right? Yeah. Just for fantasy purposes, like, like you said, in real life, like our Cincinnati would be very good for real life football purposes, but just for fantasy, uh, it just caps, it would cap everyone's in that offensive ceiling really um, Tyler Boyd, T Higgins and Jamar Chase. It would cap all of their ceilings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I completely agree. I feel like that offense will be a lot of fun, but I don't know, man. I don't trust Zach Taylor either. They're, like I've been trying to get so into Cincinnati football because I really like, like I have a lot of their players on my team. Like I have that Higgins Burrow stack. So I'm, I'm very invested in this team. And the more research I do into them, 
like the more heartbroken I get, I'm like, damn, this like this <laughs> franchise sucks, man. And so I know Josh, if he, I know he probably doesn't listen, but if he did, he, he's probably clapping right. He's like, yeah, yeah, Tommy, you're right. I freaking told you they suck. And he's, he was absolutely right. So I think that's so cool, but I'm so, so excited for the NFL draft, especially just to kind of see where landing spots go. And I guess the last part in question I want to ask for the dessert is how big of an influence does landing spot uh, go for you? Is that like the end all be all, or is, does that just barely edge out if you have someone very close and you're like, Oh, this person just landed somewhere better. So now I'm going to move them up. Yeah. So I was kind of fooled by this last year um, with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, uh, who I know that you like, but I wasn't really like the biggest fan. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I had him like RB five. Um, I moved him from RB five to RB two. Just be just just because he went to Kansas City, like no other reason. Like he was still mm-hmm. the exact same player, but I was like, oh shit, he went to Kansas City. Like, you know, like Sky I can't, <laughs> I can't put him. So like I put him DeAndre Swift, who I liked a lot more. Um, J.K. Dobbins, who I liked a lot more, and then Cam Akers, who I liked more. Um, I put him ahead of all of those guys just because he went to Kansas City. Um, now he's probably the RB six, I guess, if you're going to like rank them of in terms of like um, Antonio Gibson was a surprise. So he, he jumped him, I think. Um, Y'all be sleeping on Clyde just to wait. <laughs> I'm just, not saying he's bad, but for where he was, he was drafted last yeah, that's year. Fair. That's fair. Um, it just, I, I would rather have all five of those running backs over him which is which is no fault of his own he was just in a really good running back class um and it's just like so it, it doesn't matter but maybe not as much as we think it does i think it definitely matters a lot for quarterbacks because oh 100%. Um, quarterbacks can be absolutely destroyed by the team that they go to zach wilson's uh, about to die yeah probably um i think that teams like new york and then like traditionally cincinnati uh, they like just like they ruin everything that they get. That's I good. mean, to be fair, even though you say traditionally Cincinnati, they are on the right path to completely they are, destroying yeah, Joe they Burrow. Are. They're they're doing yeah. what I expected them to do. I know beforehand everyone was going to be like, dude, they're gonna kill Burrow, blah blah. I don't know why more people aren't saying that. Like they've already killed him for one season. He has a gnarly ass <laughs> scar, and now the draft is coming up. They have number six overall pick, and obviously they're there because they fucking sucked and they already let Joe die, but now they're like, you know. Wouldn't it be cool if he just got his old teammate and got even more passing options? I'm like, yo, bro, did you not realize you have T. Higgins and Boyd? And I know a lot of people make the argument of, oh, they don't get the most separation. They they need a boat. Well, Joe Burrow is so goddamn good. He doesn't have to see a wide receiver. He, wide, he throws him open. Like, that's how good he is. So why does Joe Burrow need someone who gets, like, a bunch of separate? Like, w- would it be good? Yeah, but that's a luxury pick. The Bengals aren't in a position to be luxurious, if you will. And so that's what really starts to boil my blood on like, yo, you already let him die once. And now you're just confirming to me that you're just the shit franchise. Sorry, I'm getting fired yeah. up right now. I love Joe. Yeah. So I think for quarterbacks, for quarterbacks, it definitely matters the, the most. Um, I think that running backs and receivers, it does, it does matter, but like not to like an extreme extent, I guess. Um, like if, like if Jamar Chase went to the Buccaneers and he's the wide receiver three or four on that team, he's not going to be very good in fantasy. So like, yeah, it's the same. It's like, it does matter, but like, not like a crazy amount, I guess. I don't know. It, it does. I don't know. It's, it's different because it does. It, it definitely matters, but I think maybe some, 
sometimes we put too much emphasis on it. Like, like AJ Brown, like I know, like, that's where I learned my lesson you, for both, sure. Yeah. Cause we both liked AJ Brown, but then when we, he went to the Titans, we were both like, ah, shit. We like, like faded him almost. Yeah. We were like, ah, it's not going to be good. Like he went to the Tennessee. <laughs> but to be fair, I feel like he would not be like, he would still be really good, but not nearly this good if he had Mariota in the way he was yeah. playing. Like he, he maybe changed a little bit with the change of scenery and that might've helped them. But the Tennessee Titans version of Marcus Mariota, no dude, like that Mariota threw for like a hundred and like 70 yards a game. Like he did fucking nothing. Like, I, I don't care how dominant A.J. Brown is. Like, he wouldn't have gotten his. And Tannehill kind of came out and exploded everything with his efficiency numbers and stuff like that. So mm. that's a lot of fun to watch. But, no, overall, I definitely learned my lesson. And I don't think talent always supersedes everything. I definitely pay attention to where the landing spots are. But this is almost my way to have a fun jab at Mike being like, yo, you had so much time to at least prep for your pick number two, three, four. You know you're not going to get Lawrence. That's the only player you know for sure you can't get, but everyone else is on the table. And then hearing all these smoke screens or stories of being like, yeah, he literally doesn't really have a plan or knows. I'm like, okay, that it's fair to say you shouldn't lock in now because you the draft hasn't happened, but everyone has a big board, right? Darren, you have a big board. I know uh, you're a big board I look up to. I have my own big board. Uh, I know some things we keep secret this year. I'm not keeping anything a secret from you because I have no picks. And so we share a lot of intimate details on who we like, who we don't like, blah, 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 blah. And we even try to predict the PDL draft. But this year I can't. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I know Jensen's going to get Lawrence, but then two, three, four, I've heard stories from quarterback, quarterback, quarterback to uh, maybe only getting skill position players and no quarter. Like, I don't know what is going to happen, but like, I understand landing spot should influence it, but not so much to the point where you literally don't even make a big board or something like that until it happens. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Because it's, it's not all about the landing spot. Like if it's, I, I don't know. Like, I have an idea of what I want to do, and I have, I don't pick until pick eight. So, like, I don't know how that's even possible. You don't know what you want to do with the second pick. <laughs> that was the same with me last year. Remember, I had, I had the first pick, then the sixth pick, and then the sixth pick in the second round. I knew exactly of the people that I wanted, and it worked exactly the way I wanted it to. I think before the draft, I was like, I want Burrow. I want Dobbins if he falls to me. And in the second round, if I could somehow get, and, and I know you could probably back me out. I told you I wanted the Burrow. Higgins stack. I told you that's what I wanted. And you knew I was higher on Higgins than maybe the uh, analyst consensus. And I was like, if T Higgins somehow falls to me in the second, like I will be thrilled. And all of that happened perfectly. And I feel like when I went to go make my picks, it was immediate. Like I I didn't waste any time at all. I was like, boop, boop, boop. All right, done. All right. I think combined all three of my picks probably took five minutes, if that. And so I'm not saying that's how everyone should do it. But I mean, if you have back to back to back picks, like, dude, you got to have a plan. (laughs) And I'm sure Mike does. I think Mike actually does. That's okay. This is my hot take. I think Mike knows exactly what he wants to do. Maybe there are a few uh, things that might change depending on landing spot, but maybe he's just really good at throwing smoke screens. I don't know. Even though his history tells me no, because the past two years when we had drafts, he takes fucking 18 hours per pick, (laughs) but like maybe he was setting us up in that way. Who knows? I'm just trying to be optimistic. I don't want to be a fucking prisoner during the PDL and be like, all right, he's holding these picks hostage. I still got to reach out to him and be like, yo, you can't do that bullshit anymore because especially if you're maybe going camping, that should give you even more incentive to be more prepared. But yeah, I think landing spot should have been an influence, but kind of like what you said, it's not the end all be all, right? Yeah, it, it has. It's a. It's one of the many factors. Like, so there's there's a bunch of factors that go into it. It definitely 
has some importance, but um, if you extremely think that Najee Harris is the best running back, if Najee Harris goes to, I don't know, like somewhere that's a little bit worse than like Miami or something like that, are you still just, are you just not going to take Najee Harris anymore because he went to a team that's like a little bit worse than that? Like, I, I don't know. Exactly. And I feel like it should just wait a little bit, maybe move up a little bit, but it shouldn't be like kind of like what you did with Clyde, where he went from five to two or me with AJ Brown, where he was literally my number one. And then I just took him not off my board, but I was like, all right, maybe I'll just take Damian Harris now. Like now I'm looking back being like, nope, it shouldn't have swayed that much. And it's really nice to hear. I think that's what separates uh, a good fantasy owner to a bad one. It's learning from your mistakes and sticking to it. Cause I know after the NFL draft happens, we're going to be in a similar position where we really want to move up some players. We really yeah. want to move down players, but then I have to almost remind myself, listen back to this podcast and be like, Nope, don't fall for the trap. Learn from your mistake and see what happens. Cause I would much rather take a loss because I feel like I'm trying to learn rather than just making the same mistake over and over again, hoping for a different outcome. That's like the definition of insanity, right? Like I want to at least try to make that progress kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And because of the stuff that we've, we've done wrong in the past. So you, you should learn from your mistakes. You should. I guess only time will tell the NFL draft is just a few days away. I am so excited to kind of see uh, what, like two weeks, right? Or is it like a week and a half, maybe? Like, yeah, whatever. it's not this Thursday, but the one after. So it's like eight days or something. Yeah, yeah. So we're getting really, really close to the NFL draft. And I cannot wait. And uh, yeah, I'm just scared to see what you, Max, and Mike are going to do. Because you guys control nine picks in the first round. So <laughs> that should be a lot of fun. But I also know I'm going to be really envious because you guys are going to make your team better. But I'm also excited to kind of keep my eye out on, hey, there are historically a bunch of busts in the first, like you said, like 50%. And so I'm interested to see, hey, who do I think might be those busts kind of thing? Because right now everyone is looking at the drive and like, nope, that's a hit. That's a hit. This person's so good. This person's so good. But then that's just not how it happens. Maybe it'll be a historic draft where there are no busts. But hey, I don't think that's going to happen. So with all that being said, Darren, do you have any final parting words before we wrap up the episode? Uh, no, just can't wait for the draft. Same as you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, until, you know, next week when we release our next episode, look forward to seeing all of you guys hopefully talking about the episode. We'll see. Uh, a lot of people have actually been listening to the episodes, which has been a nice change. So we'll see if we yeah. keep that momentum. But until next time, guys, take care. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed your meal. We'll catch you next time.